We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. So it's time to embrace my favorite season of the year, deer season. In fact, a funny story that I have to throw in. I asked my daughter if she wanted to wear a Halloween bow because I'm like, well, Halloween's coming. And she goes, no, mom, you said it's deer season. I'm like, well, I guess she's right. So we're embracing my favorite season of the year, deer season. And, and the heck with Halloween, she says. My second favorite season of the year is fall. Luckily, they go hand in hand. So I have a bit of a deer itch and a fall fever, however you want to take that. In our represented states here, we got Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska. It is archery deer season. It is open, they're out and about, and we're going. And as we speak, ladies are sitting in the deer stand, bow in hand, waiting for a deer to cross their path. The, the weather has changed a little bit, shifted, cooled down a little bit, so I'm hoping they're seeing some deer. You know, with all that said, today we are talking archery deer hunting. Now, if you are not an archer, don't tune out just yet. Today's episode, we're not necessarily focusing on the technique of deer archery, but rather the benefits and what is the ambiance of archery season. Our topic of conversation will reside with all. My past experience has only been rifle hunting myself. To be honest, this is all I have known to do, but I am very intrigued to learn a different method. And perhaps the main reason is allows me some more time in the field. So additionally, I hear there are many other benefits to archery hunting and I think Tana could share some of her benefits and why she aims to hit the field too. Tana and Rachel will both join me today in the conversation with our guest. And our guest today is very experienced archer. So we may just be keeping her out of the field today. So we thank her for sitting behind the microphone instead of in the deer stand. Although we probably could have done this from the deer stand too. But uh, through my through my years of working with Christine, it's pretty hard to catch her in the office this time of year. Technically, she's the only in the deer stand. This isn't Christy's first time in the show. However, it has been a while since Christy has been at the microphone on our podcast. And I believe the first time since Tana and Rachel have been here. So we're really excited to introduce Christy to the audience and to Rachel and Tana for some loaded questions on archery deer hunting. Take it away, Rachel. Hey, Christy. Thanks again for uh, joining us. And, and before we really get into the world of archery and deer hunting, wanted to take a minute and have you introduce our, yourself and just a, a reintroduction to Tana and I. Okay. Well, thank you all for having me. I do appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast. I think this has just been such a great opportunity and a new way to reach out to ladies and other people who want to uh, um, sit in and listen to our conversation. Again, I'm Christy Christensen. I'm an outdoor education specialist with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I've been with the commission for about 11 years. As far as a 
bow hunter is concerned, uh, grew up with hunting in the family. My dad was an avid, avid bow hunter. He was actually a taxidermist as well. So I was never too far away from anything related to hunting and shot a bow when I was really young. I was a Girl Scout camp counselor and actually taught people to shoot, even when I really didn't probably know as much as I do now. But I didn't hunt until I was an adult. So uh, my dad didn't take me hunting uh, as a kid. But you have to understand, age-wise, it just wasn't as popular back then that really there weren't a lot of women that hunted. And the only woman that I knew that bow hunted was 70 years old at the time. And I've been bow hunting for well over 30 years now. So that time frame is a bit different uh, than, uh, you know, now there's the opportunities and the equipment and everything is out there for anyone who wants to grasp it. Just enjoy being out in the field and, and love to bow hunt and and share it with others. Well, Christy, it's it's really awesome to talk to you again. I think the last time we all talked as a group was when you jumped on and joined us for our outdoor cooking uh, webinar. Yeah, helped us with that. So it's been a while. It has. Well, we're glad to have you back joining the She Goes Outdoors crew. Um, so I have to know, I've got to be honest with you guys, I've had a really hard time getting out this season. I am kind of new to the archery world. And it's just been a busy year for whatever reason. So Christy, I'm curious, have you been able to get out this season? I'm going to give the same answer that you just did. It has been incredibly busy. I, if only had maybe two weekends off since the opening of archery season, the weather's been extremely hot. uh, So it was really hard to get out. Um, And not that I'm adverse to not hunting in any season or any situation but sometimes you know I don't enjoy sitting in a tree stand sweating to death and then dealing with the bugs and and all of that and the other thing is is you have to be prepared at all times when I'm going to be hunting I always have to have in the back of my mind if I shoot something I have to be ready. I have to. If it's hot like this, boy, I better have a cooler and I better have ice and I better have a way to get it home right away. And so there's so many of those things that come into play. And we've always said, if you have something to do later on that day, don't even bother going hunting. Because you can't just say, well, I'm going to get out of the tree at 10 o'clock. Well, at 945, a deer walks in and... You either have to decide, am I going to pass because I have other things to do? Or am I going to uh, uh, take the deer and take the time for the day? So it is a commitment. It's more than just, I'm going to spend three hours in the woods and then go home. Those are really good points. I I echo that as well. Plus, you know, if anybody, any of our listeners have uh, kids that are still transitioning back into the school season, they've got youth sports going on, like fall is a busy time of the year. And here in the Midwest, like you mentioned, it has been weirdly hot. I feel like every time it starts to cool off, they call it like fool's fall. Where yes. I get excited for fall and sweaters and all of that. And then it like goes back to 95 degrees and it bums me out. So that's really interesting. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page. But generally, when is a good time, you think, Christy, to start getting out? Is there a temperature you're looking for or some sort of indicator? Not really, because there's been a lot of years that, boy, September 1st, I am in that tree stand regardless because I want to be out there on opening day. And just this year has been oddly weird. Again, we've been so busy 
you know, we all experienced not being able to do programs and not being able to do our job like we typically do. And so this year, it seems like once we got that green light, we have been putting it in overdrive and all of us have been just so, so busy. Uh, so I, I love those early mornings uh, because you typically the mornings are going to be a little bit cooler. I love being able to get into the woods when it's dark and watch that sun come up and watch everything get into movement. And a lot of times, too, with harvest going on, it's a little harder to hunt when there's corn in the fields already. Uh, the deer aren't going to move quite the same as when those food sources are gone. They're going to change their patterns and things like that. So harvest time, I love being out when they're picking corn, when they're doing things because it's causing those deer to do movement that maybe they weren't doing before. Um, and so that's one of the things that I really enjoy getting out. Harvest time is just a, a great time to be out. And then you can also talk to the farmers and ask them, what have you seen? And they'll be able to at least tell you, wow, we saw deer here and here. And, and that's a good tool to kind of pattern the deer as well. And I just want to put the the note out there that make sure you're checking your local um, hunting regulations. Because here in Iowa, we don't actually open archery season until October 1. So our hunters are, are just in the in the start of it here. And, and to Christy's point, it has been so hot <laughs> that... Yeah especially our archery hunters and our youth season was, was kind of a bust just because of the temperatures. So um, something to think about. And the nice thing that what we've done that we've changed, we used to typically open uh, September 15th, but as a big request from archery hunters, we wanted to get out there early because there were a lot of archery hunters that wanted that opportunity to take a deer while it was in velvet. And you couldn't really do that, you know, too late in the season that we didn't do that. That's a really unique thing to be able to do is to be able to uh, take a deer that's still in velvet. Rachel, good thing you brought that up because uh, our listeners do need to check their regulations. As did notice when I was doing some research that Iowa opens in October where Kansas and Nebraska is in September. So certainly wherever state you're listening to, check that out for your regulations even so, archery, when your firearm season opens, and we've touched on this before as far as all those other details, as far as what you need, when to have it, always check that. But, you know, today we're talking a lot of the benefits of being out there, but we're going to continue to always pressure you to read those regulations. On the, I've spent a lot of time kind of researching why people, uh, why do ladies and gentlemen and kids, why do they choose archery over rifle you know I've always been a rifle hunter that's how I guess was in my family my dad shot with rifle but that that I guess was in my blood I should say is that's what what I experienced and I went with that but I've wanted to research why do so many do archery and I you know that's why Christy's here today and she's already explained some of that to us and even being out there early in the season to me is a benefit well you know we've talked about maybe the weather conditions have are not always the best but then and while it's been hot this year a lot of times this time of year is nice and cool mm -hmm. whereas when we hit November in our firearm it's it could be cold before I even share more of the list that I have researched and seen Christy what grabs your attention or why do you grab the bow over the rifle? That is always a great question, and lots of people ask that question. 
And I think a lot, one, obviously, is the extended season because in Nebraska, I can hunt deer for four months. I think that's awesome because I have plenty of opportunity to do that. The other is obviously the challenge. And the challenge being there's a lot more practice because I'm not going to shoot my bow for a couple hours, get it sighted in and hang it up, and I'm ready for the season. Um, It's something that I do year-round. Um, either practicing or even doing competitions or getting out and shooting at a 3D tournaments and things like that. So we're always have the bow out. We're always shooting. So that's a great thing you know, as far as a challenge because it is harder, not just from the practice scent, but also my distance. I am not going to shoot a deer with my bow at 100, 200, 300 yards which is possible to do with a rifle. Rifle hunting is a tradition, huge tradition all over the United States because it's always that same time of year. We've got 10 days. It's a big deal. We go to camp. We do the whole thing. And with archery season, it's a little different because it's a lot more individualized. You can do it alone. You can do it as a group as well. Uh, But typically, I'm in a tree stand by myself, I have to put in a lot more work getting the stands up, hauling my equipment in, all of those things. And I get to see a deer at 8 yards and 10 yards and 12 yards in front of me. And being that close and that excitement, it's not pull the trigger once and, oh, my season's over. (laughs) Because I got my deer with a rifle and then we're done. thing with Nebraska is, is being able to purchase multiple tags. I can buy them over the counter. I don't have to do a draw. Uh, And there's a lot of states that you can't even hunt with a rifle without spending three, four years waiting to get a tag. And I can go to Colorado and buy a tag over the counter um, to hunt an elk or to hunt a deer. Um, And so those things are very nice too, because there's a lot more opportunities out there, not just here in Nebraska, but uh, all over. Certainly sounds motivational to me in so many different ways. Just the the preparation alone and the mental preparation, preparing yourself physically and mentally. It's a thing of being convincing, but challenging. I like that challenge part of of it. Uh, I find myself right now just grabbing my firearm and running to the field and sitting there, hopefully getting one right away. And after harvest, heading right back home because I'm done. Archery, it takes a lot more preparation. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully someday when I'm not chasing four kids and, and on top of that, I'll have the time to do that. I like the idea of the strength and the exercise too. And not just crawling into the blind or the stand. You know, archery takes a lot more strength to be able to to host that equipment up and to get into a spot where the deer are traveling could take a little more effort as well. In addition to all that, I think it just kind of helps with, I don't know, maybe even aging as well. And <laughs> yeah. As those ladies are talking about that, maybe that's all those exercises that, that we need, we go to therapists for, but we could be just doing it in the field. Exactly. And, you know, and I'm not, none of us are uh, so, uh, what's the word, invincible that things don't happen. And I recently, you know, again, working a lot, hauling a lot of equipment, things like that. I literally separated my rib and pulled it out of place and I cannot now pull my bow back. And I'm at this, I was ready to go hunting this upcoming weekend and I couldn't go. 
And so now I'm going to use a crossbow because the awesome thing with Nebraska is there are so many ways that you can hunt deer in Nebraska. It's crazy. And so I'm, I'm going to break out a crossbow and I'm going to get that sighted in and go. And then hopefully by the time, you know, cause October, late October is really my favorite time to hunt deer uh, and getting in that pre rut and things like that. But, but the one thing that you have to be even more focused on with archery is because you're up close and personal. Okay. So now we have to deal with our scent. We have to deal with our cover, with the clothing that we're wearing and blending into the surroundings. I have to be able to pull my bow back without that deer staring at me or blowing at me and discovering that I'm there. And I swear to, I swear that deer literally just appear out of nowhere. You turn your head and they're right in front of you and you're like, uh, <laughs> I've had that happen so many, many times. And you're thinking, I didn't hear a thing. I didn't see it. I swear I wasn't moving. And the next thing, they're blowing at you. And you're like, but I wasn't moving. I swear I wasn't breathing. I wasn't doing anything. And they just come out of nowhere. And that is the, that's the incredible part about, about bow hunting. Because just out of nowhere, there's a deer. When I was rifle hunting, one of my first years, still haunted by this buck that just kind of popped over the hill. We looked eye to eye. I think I like squealed out of that buck fever, like, ah! <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I heard him scream back at me and said, <laughs> and he trotted off snorting at me. I'm like, ah, yes, yes. So I know what you, I know the feels oh, yeah. that you got there. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> and then trying to, you know, pull that bow back and trying to, you know, do that without, you know, it's like, okay, please walk behind that tree so I can draw my bow. And it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> um, so, and I've hunted a lot of things. I've been fortunate to go on a couple of bear hunts and taken some bear with my bow. And that's been just an experience like no other. I hunt turkeys. And if you ever want to truly be humbled as a hunter, try to turkey hunt with a bow. Right. totally it took me a lot of years before I could pull that off and I don't know why they made me more nervous than a deer because they're right in front of you and they're moving constantly and you're trying to make a shot and it makes it tough but uh but I think that's a big part of it it's all that it's all that challenge and all of those things and to be able to accomplish that and pull it off to say that I did that. And and you get that when people talk to you and say, oh, you deer hunt. Oh, yeah. And then they you tell them you shoot a bow, and they're like, you shot that with a bow? Like, they're very surprised because it is a smaller percentage of people that bow hunt. And kind of going back to that noise perspective when we were talking about being so silent in the, in the field, uh, I think that's another benefit of archery because you got to sit there and be quiet even longer and it forces you to just take in the surroundings and listen to nature around you for a little bit longer in time frame and coming from a house of four kids it's constantly loud from <laughs> the point that they get up at 6 a.m to the point they go to bed I want to aim for that field and be out there and have a excuse to have to be out there longer and silent so yes we're gonna we're gonna hone in on that noise perspective and the quietness. <laughs> well, you know, another perspective to consider too is um, 
not, I don't know how to phrase this, not the safety component, but the comfortability component. Here on this podcast, we always like to celebrate that we are all on our own journeys to outdoor exploration, and we're all at different comfort levels, different knowledge levels. You know, for folks who may or may not be completely comfortable with a firearm yet, um, archery might be a great alternative. If there's something about firearms that makes you uncomfortable, you're not quite familiar with them, um, the mechanisms on a bow can feel a little bit more approachable. They're more visible. They're more, more simplified. There's not fire involved. For some, it bridges the gap for them to be able to participate in hunting if they don't feel comfortable handling a firearm. So that's another really cool added benefit of archery that's worth mentioning. And in some areas, for example, in urban areas, you know, as we continue to urbanize and we see that urban sprawl where we're spreading out into these areas that were once wilderness, we are seeing deer in urban areas. We're seeing them come into local parks and, um, you know, areas where people have housing. And so having the archery equipment available sometimes opens up really weird and interesting hunting opportunities where you can safely harvest an animal within city limits. Um, if that's something you're interested in, do some research on those types of urban deer hunting programs. They may or may not be available in your state. And it's definitely something to look look into and research because that that archery hunting opens up a couple different opportunities there. 100% agree on there are a lot of people that I meet that absolutely do not want to shoot a gun. Just it just it's something that either scares them or worries them. And honestly, my daughter shot a turkey with a shotgun her very first anything that she'd ever taken, she's never picked up a gun since. She just never liked it, and she has shot archery. She outshoots her brothers, and I hope they're not listening. Um, (laughs) 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 um, But but when she was younger, she was just dead on and was doing great, and she's taken several deer with her bow and really, really enjoys it. She could care less to ever shoot a gun. Well, Christy, I want to I want to jump back to your crossbow chat too because I want to throw some controversy into the mix. Okay. So, bear with me. Last year I took my first step into the world of archery hunting in the way that felt most transitional to me. So I did start um deer hunting with a rifle and I wanted to start archery hunting as well, mostly for the reason of it extending my season, but also for the challenge of that you have to get so up close and personal with these animals and you have to really understand you don't just like luck upon a deer when you're archery hunting typically. The way that that felt most transitional to me was to start with a crossbow. Uh, I was lucky enough my first year of having that crossbow to harvest a buck that was on some private land that a generous friend and coworker um, let me have access to. I'm really curious, can you talk to us a little bit about the controversy surrounding crossbow use, specifically during archery season, and give us your personal take? That's an interesting question when it comes to crossroads, because I remember the controversy that we were going through here in Nebraska, because for years, the crossbow was only allowed for folks who were uh, disabled or had a doctor's note that, you know, uh, maybe they had a shoulder surgery or they had some kind of injury that prevented them from shooting a bow. And so they were allowed to use crossbows. And then when they allowed the crossbows in and said that anybody could shoot it, it's legal for during a rifle season as well as it is for archery. Um, So it was a real crossover on that and there was a lot of flack from bow hunters there was a lot of flack from rifle hunters as well and i have finally kind of taken that uh aspect of do what works well for you if it's allowed it's allowed you know legally 
I think everyone should have that choice of being able to, to use what you want. Um, the great thing for me, you know, I was going to miss out on uh, my October season because I can't pull my bow back. But now with the crossbow, I'm going to be able to shoot it and not have to wait for, for rifle season. I may, I may not even get a, a tag for rifle season because they could be sold out in that area that I'm going to hunt. So it still gives you that flexibility. I mean, even here in Nebraska, we can throw an atlatl. We can throw a spear. I can use a, a recurve, a crossbow, um, a compound, or even a longbow. The opportunities are there, and I'm just in that camp of, you know, do what you want to do, what you're comfortable with, and I think it's a great opportunity. Even with the crossbows, though, just because it's a crossbow doesn't mean I'm still going to be able to shoot 100 yards. I'm not. There's still going to be some limit in uh, distance, you know, just like if I was going to shoot a muzzleloader, um, the same thing. And you also get one shot, just like with a bow, you'll get one shot. Maybe with the muzzleloader, you get one shot. So that challenge and those opportunities of being able to take several shots like you could with a rifle, practice is huge because I have to make sure that I'm on, I practice, I'm going to make a good ethical shot at a vital area that practice is still needs to be at that high level. Those are great points, Christy. And like for me, you know, I felt like it was a good transition because since I'd started with rifle, you know, those crossbows have a similar trigger mechanism yes. that a firearm would be like that. And you're not used to the release of a bowstring on like a compound bow. It's a great place to start because it does have that trigger mechanism. And then also it has a cocking device that allow you to pull the string back mm-hmm. and hold it in place. Unlike, you know, the cams that you're pulling on a compound bow, for example, where they'll kind of turn over and make it so that it's easier to hold that string back, but they're not holding it back for you. So Again, just a just a good transition. And Christy, I, I love your message and really admire um, the message you shared with us, which was basically hunt your own hunt. Um, yeah. Be safe, be legal, be ethical, but hunt your own hunt. I love that. All right. I feel like I'm Debbie Downer on this episode. So to the crossbow point, um, here in Iowa, longbow, recurve, and compound are all of legal methods of take. However, crossbows are not legal unless uh, an individual is is physically handicapped and that's Mm -hmm. actually defined in our regulations and you can certainly go look and and find out more on it so I just I I don't want to steer people um, into the possibility of crossbow hunting here in Iowa and and it is also done during a muzzleloader season so um, a little bit different you cannot crossbow hunt during archery season. So just wanted to kind of note some of those nuances, especially as a new hunter myself, I I still have to flip through the pages of these regulations and say, but I'm trying to do this. Can I do it? And if so, how? So don't feel that we on this podcast by any means are saying we know everything because we certainly flip through the pages trying to figure it out ourselves. And then to the point about uh, archery hunting in urban areas. Um, This is certainly one of our biggest areas of growth 
with more and more folks coming off of the farm and living in urban areas, um, sometimes you just, you really don't have the time to Julia's point, chasing four kids. You really don't have the time to, to do that and then also drive an hour and a half to maybe some private land. So um, more and more opportunities, especially um, here in the Des Moines area, Johnson area where Iowa City is, is like some of these really urbanized areas in our state are, are opening up to um, urban archery. So something to look into. And here in Iowa, we have a, it's a program called Field to Fork. We actually are hosting it in three different areas. So here in the Des Moines area, we have two different sessions going on and then um, in the Council Bluffs. So anyone in the, the greater Western Iowa, Eastern Nebraska, I'm going to pull over Nebraskans, um, you're certainly welcome and, and interested if you're interested, please reach out because it's a great program. We actually work with our depredation biologists. So these are our folks in the field deal with landowners and, and they deal with complaints. So maybe bean fields, maybe different crops um, are being just just eaten, <laughs> straight up eaten by deer or turkey or, or different animals. And so these depredation biologists go in and they have special tags. It's a whole different quota system where, where we can open up special hunts on land that might not otherwise be able to be hunted on. So a uh, great opportunity. And, and then we also partner with our, our local archery shop. Christy's mentioned numerous times the importance of really getting out and practicing uh, especially with with archery, um, really getting in and honing what your comfort level is on distance. Like everything else, there's a debate on what the right distance is, and, and it's really individual to what you feel that you can you can make, right? Because you're trying to make that ethical shot um, and and to harvest. So what distance is 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 pretty individual. So I really encourage our listeners to get to their local archery shop, work with those Botex. That's what they do. They can help you tweak your bow or get you into the right bow. You can certainly read online. And I, I have to say that I always go and do a bunch of research online, but, but know that the person that you're talking to has information that you might not have access to and, and pick their brain and learn from it and then go back and keep shooting and shooting and shooting and then go shoot against all the boys and beat them and then post <laughs> your picture to Esco Outdoors Facebook page and then we can all like it because we're there cheering for you just might not see us. So just two points I wanted to, to bring into the conversation. And speaking of practice, you know, unlike a firearm, when you're practicing, you're burning uh, your ammo and you have to go buy more ammo and buy more ammo. And there's a, there's a shortage of ammo right now. So another benefit of archery is when you're practicing, you're using the same equipment over mm -hmm. and over. Sure. You might tweak or bend or damage an arrow, but, uh, you're not going through that expense near as much as you are on a firearm. No. And that is a great point because I get to go retrieve my arrows and, and shoot them again. And um, even the broadheads that I use, I can sharpen them. I can reuse them uh, depending on what type. Uh, and, and I love all your points on, you know, one of the things that we always emphasize is hunting within your own personal limitations. And I know what mine are. I know I can shoot at 60, 70, 80 yards. And I practice for that. But my personal limitation is I have never shot a deer over 35 yards just because I feel that I want to make sure that, again, I'm going to make a great 
ethical shot. I'm going to make sure that I hit those things because I want to recover that animal. And I, we, we see a lot of people that will talk about, talk about pass-throughs and meaning that that arrow, there's a lot of people think, oh, that arrow cannot go completely through an animal all the way through. And I will disagree with you. Almost every deer that I've ever shot, I've gotten a pass through. Those arrows will pass through. If you get the right shot placement, you practice those shot placements, and you will get a good pass through. You'll get a good blood trail, and you'll be able to recover that deer a lot quicker. And and being able to shoot, you know, as much poundage as you can do comfortably um, is what you should should aim for. Right now, I tried to pick up a bow. I couldn't even pull back 20 pounds because of hurting myself. Um, and I typically shoot about 53 pounds. I also shoot a mechanical broadhead. We were talking about that earlier in our conversation that some of those equipment that you're using mechanical broadheads, you have to shoot a minimum of 50. Um, and actually it was on my bear hunt. I switched broadheads and I got a pass through on my bear. Um, and he only went 15 yards. So, uh, you know, practicing and getting it in those perfect, in those vital areas and practicing for that, that's great. And the other thing that people don't really consider, and when I teach hunter ed, we talk to kids about this a lot. Not only do you need to practice, 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 but you need to practice from a tree stand. You need to practice wearing your big heavy coat from wearing gloves or things like that because all of those things are going to change how you shoot. You may have a coat get in your way and the string slap your coat. Um, I don't even use, I use a very, very light glove and I keep a nice one of those heated pads in my pocket because... If I put on a heavy glove, it's going to change the way that I anchor my my bow where I bring the string, and I'm not going to shoot the same. So, again, even practicing with your broadheads, you don't just practice with your regular field points and then, you know, put a broadhead on and expect it to fly the same. So all of those things come into consideration on, and if it's cold, 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 you it may be too cold. You may not even be able to pull your bow back. Uh, so you, you need to keep that in consideration too. You know, can I draw a bow back when I'm wearing, you know, six layers of clothing? Christy, I have a quick question for you with, with the need to, to have a deer pretty close in and can't really replicate the emotions and, and like your heart pounding and, and what that feels like. Do you have any suggestions for our listeners to any way that they could possibly recreate that feeling? I mean, like, can you go run a mile and then try and shoot your bow? Like, is there anything to try and, or for me for that matter, 10 feet, but is there anything <laughs> you can do to like get your blood pumping or your adrenaline running so you can anticipate what it might feel like. And I really wish there was something that you could really, really do because it, it affects other people differently. I, I'll never forget the very first deer that I shot. I literally had to turn around and hold the tree because I was shaking so bad. I thought I was going to fall out. And, but I think it's just something that you kind of get over over time. But if you know that you're shaking and that you're doing and you can't pull it off, you need to let that animal pass. You need to not shoot that animal because 
you're going to, you know, mess up because you are not mentally prepared. And I just think that's something that changes over time. Um, now I only shake after the shot <laughs> for, I would, sh- I mean, the moment I would see an animal, I am just an absolute total wreck. I think that's what happened with my turkeys. I, I couldn't even stand still. And it was, it's just something that I think you just learn how to deal with, but yeah, maybe you do need to run. Maybe you do need to get your adrenaline uh, pumping and try to try to pull that bow back and do some practicing. I don't even know how I can even get away bow hunting because I can't sit still. Neither can Julia. No, so I, I don't know. We're lousy people to be in the. Yeah. I don't even know how. I, and I was talking about that earlier. I said I'm half blind. I can't sit still. I whatever. I don't even know how I've ever shot anything ever. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we're talking about this sitting still, and I can't even sit still during this podcast. So you know, <laughs> checking the phone and everything else. I'm listening. Yeah. Well, I I like to think that I've been preparing for archery hunting since I was a kid, because when I was a kid, I got super amped up on uh, hide and seek, like high stakes hide and seek player. (laughs) I thought I was the best in the game, best in the business for sure. But, you know, one of the biggest things when you're archery hunting is kind of that breath control Mm -hmm. Um, because you do get to shaking. And if you're like me, I don't shake too bad, but I hold my breath. And so after I harvest an animal, if I'm lucky enough to do that, I nearly pass out because I realize I haven't been breathing for the past like minute and a half, two minutes. So, but you know, some of those breathing exercises that you may or may not have done in high stakes hide and seek as a kid, where you're trying to take slow, deep breaths to try to quiet your adrenaline. Um, those are things that you can definitely work on and practice at home. Like Julia and Rachel mentioned and Christy too, it's always different in the field and you can't always prepare for that. Um, but I definitely recommend recommend doing some of those deep, slow breathing exercises and trying to bring your heart rate back down. And that's something you can practice, you know, in any sort of high adrenaline situation. If you're super amped up about a sporting game or you just got back from a mile run or I'm with Rachel, a, a 10 step run is going to get my heart rate going. So definitely something to practice. We've talked a lot about almost like cardio pre- preparation uh, we've talked about like some mental preparation, but you know, you have mentioned about being injured and needing the, the strength to be able to pull that bow back. Mm-hmm. Explain to explain to the audience or our listeners, as far as, you know, we use the word poundage, explain the poundage and be able to pull that bow that bow back so that you can have an ethical shot. Cause you know, we talked about that ethical shot as far as where at, but you also need to have that ethical shot as versus the, the poundage that, uh, that arrow hits the animal out. So a kind of a two part question versus, you know, one preparing yourself physically for that. And, and what is the poundage that you're preparing yourself for? Okay. In Nebraska, we used to have a, regulation that said we had to have a minimum of 40 pounds uh, to legally hunt. Uh, They did remove that restriction. That was mostly so it wouldn't um, impede younger folks to go out and, and do some hunting. But I still personally feel, this is my personal opinion, that 40 pounds is a, is a great number uh, to, you know, try to work your way up to, um, at least at 40 pounds, because that's going to give you enough kinetic energy, you know, on a well-placed shot, uh, because there's been 
you know, many, many people who have not had a well-placed shot and maybe had injured a deer, you know, a lot of times if you've got enough poundage behind it, maybe not the best well-placed shot, you can still be able to take that deer, you know, and be able to put it down. Um, working on getting your strength up on that and trying to get, uh, your muscles build up. And if you think about it, if you do that motion, I know we're on radio, but if you do the motion of pulling a bow back, nobody does that as an exercise. That's kind of a, a muscle memory that you're going to build up over time. One of the tips that I tell people to do when they're every time that they practice, if they're trying to build up that poundage is that when they're done practicing to add some more poundage to your bow. And there's just a simple way to, to turn the bow limbs that you can actually add poundage to the limbs and just a small little adjustment. Every time you shoot, put your bow away. The next time you shoot it, you won't even notice that you've, you've bumped that up. So that makes a big difference and you can use exercise bands to try to build that up as well um so that takes takes a while but i know when you're under duress and you're trying to pull it back the other thing that i teach when i'm teaching archery and uh, for folks that are trying to get ready to shoot this is how you know that you are not overbowed i always tell that that means that you're, you're pulling too much poundage if you can sit flat on the floor and this means on your butt flat on the floor, and draw your bow back. If you cannot physically do that, you're probably not going to be able to do it under duress, in a tree stand, that type of stuff. So you have to practice being in a stand, in a seated position, things like that. So if you can pull your bow back sitting flat on the floor and pull it back, then you know that you're not overbowed. Good tip. I like that one. So Christy, we're running out of time here and it's been a really good conversation. I think the SGO team is all in agreement that we could probably have a ton of episodes following up on archery deer hunting, whether that's uh, scouting tips, looking for an area, um, et cetera. But one thing we need to point out is tree stand safety. Yes. So Christy, can you talk to us a little bit about tree stand safety? Yes. Uh, the number one is make sure you've got a good safety harness that fits you. Uh, today when you buy a tree stand, it comes with a harness, which I think is fantastic because it's encouraging people, you know, there's no excuse for you not to wear one. But when it comes to women, you know, we're all different shapes and sizes and not the one size fits all may not fit us. And I don't know about you all, but I know I'm worth at least $100. I'm going to spend the extra money and buy a safety harness that's going to fit me and fit me correctly. I'm also going to make sure that when I'm using it, I am connected to the tree from the time I leave the ground till the time I climb all the way up into my stand and the same when I come back down. How do you do that? You do that by installing a lifeline. And those lifelines are hooked up Uh, at the top of your stand and they stay in your tree stand so all you have to do is to take your your strap your harness your tether hook it up and as you climb you slide it right up with you and they work like a seat belt 
So you know what it's all like when mom slams on the brakes and that seatbelt grabs you <laughs> and hangs on to you? Well, a lifeline does the same thing, and that tether will do the same thing. It may slide easily up and down as you're climbing, but you put tension on it and pull, it will lock you up tighter than a seatbelt will, and it'll save your life. And that's no excuse to not take that extra five minutes to hook one up because I have had... Uh, a safety harness saved my life more than once. So it is definitely worth spend the extra money, put in a lifeline and buy a harness that fits you well. Thank you, Christy. That is really important. And of course, but as you're preparing for the seasons, be sure to check those straps over time, check your tree stand, check the straps on your safety harness, um, all of your lines that are connected to you be really cautious of that. And remember too, um, you're not climbing up in that tree stand with a firearm on your back or a, a bow across your back. You know, there are lines that you can use to recover those items. You can leave them on the ground. If it's firearm, it's unloaded, action open, uh, safety on. Um, just be really, really cautious there. And then why have, I'm, it seems like I'm always the one that, that preaches this over and over again. You guys are going to think I'm the safety nut. Be sure to tell someone where you're going. Oh, yes. And when you plan to return. Um, because, you know, if your safety arrest or your fall arrest system or safety harness will catch you in the instance that for whatever reason you fall out of the tree, you know, we've all talked about some of the best naps you'll take are going to be out in the field, but I don't recommend doing so from a tree stand. Um, it will catch you, but at that point you're suspended in the air. It is so important that you let someone know where you're going and when you plan to return. Um, with modern technology now, we always recommend that you carry a cell phone with you in the field and share your location with someone you trust that's not going to steal your hunting spot. So share that with a spouse, share it with a maybe a non-hunting friend or no, I'm kidding. But that way they know the location of your tree stand or they know your location. If anything should happen to you heading to or from that tree stand, it's really, really important. Because I'm a safety nerd too when it comes to that. <laughs> Very much so. And Tana, to your point, when you're putting up your tree stands, you don't have to go 30 feet in the air. No. Deer are short. Deer are not usually looking up for predators. So eight feet, nine feet, totally acceptable heights for tree stands. No one is going to think you're less of a person because you didn't climb 90 feet up into a tree. And God forbid something happens, it's much less heights for, uh, for something to happen. So I always hear about these, these people that are 24, 30 feet in the air. I don't particularly care for heights, let alone heights on a tiny little stand. So Same. you best believe that I have that three-point harness on. I've got every lifeline, every connector, every everything. Somebody knows where I am and uh, it doesn't come off until both feet are back on the ground. So you both summed it up better than I could have ever, but um, 10 feet sounds like a great height. Oh, me too. Kudos to you guys for getting in a tree stand because... <laughs> <laughs> no lie, I don't even, I, that comfort level of getting in a tree stand in general for me, eh, like five feet I'm comfortable with. <laughs> and personally, I use a self-climber. I actually will strap my tree stand on my back and hike in and hook it up and climb a tree just like that. And I, I just love that accessibility if we're going to change our mind and uh, maybe where I was going to hunt, maybe the wind has changed or something. And I always have my self-climbing stand. And I remember one year uh, we were coming out of an area that we were hunting and met up with another guy. And he had asked us later on, 
He says, can I ask how old you and your wife are? He says, well, why? You know, well, we're both over 50. And he says, I've just never seen a couple your age carry in these these climber stands and still use the climber stands and because uh, they do take a bit of finesse but uh, I thought that was a I wasn't sure if that was a compliment or not oh, compliment total compliment <laughs> total compliment while we're on being the uh the safety police here one thing I do want to point out is don't leave your tree stands in the tree 365 days of the year oh, yeah. I have seen tree stands that people have left and days before deer season, you go in, you, you look at that stand, and you've seen what the raccoons have done to that tree stand since you haven't been there. Just, just take the time, take it down, put it back up. It, new straps. Oh, new ever. Well, yeah, just don't let it sit there and weather. Uh, it, it's amazing what wildlife and the weather will do to the tree stand during those times that you're not needing it, so... Tana, you're not the only safety, safety, uh, I want safety police. We'll put it that way. <laughs> I love it. Thanks guys. Well, I always get bonus points from our hunter ed instructor, so I'll take those where I can get them. Nice. You kind of mentioned how peaceful and how, how serene it is to be in your tree stand. And those of us that might not have ever experienced that, can you kind of take us into the escape maybe that you feel kind of what what is what goes through your head while you're in the field what what could we look forward to if we uh start practicing now and maybe get out there next season well besides the what do they call that the uh, song earworms that you get in your head <laughs> i earworms. try earworms. you know what i mean <laughs> you know how you get those songs stuck in your head i try really hard not to do that that that's t- that happens to me a lot. Um, but the other thing I think as far as this peaceful part, because it's amazing the things that you can experience being in the tree stand and being quiet, the animals that you see, the squirrels that literally land on your head because they don't know you're there. Taunting. We call that taunting. Or taunting. No, I literally had one run across my head. Um, and... <laughs> You know, things like that, but just just the birds and the sounds and things. And and again, listening to the world wake up in the morning is really, really a wonderful feeling. And then I think the next thing is being able to say, when I do get to shoot a deer, to know that I did this. I put my tree stand up. I took the time that, you know, the effort that it took. I was able to... uh, take the deer, recover it, and and process it myself, take it home and feed it to my family, and all of those things that go in there to be able to look back later and say, I did this. And what an empowering feeling that is. For me, that is probably one of the biggest uh, benefits that I get from it, knowing that from start to finish, it's something that I did. So eloquent. Uh, I love it. Um, Just something certainly to look forward to but i I do want to remind our listeners that like a firearm once you take that shot you're responsible for the game a lot of people oh i had 10 minutes left in the season and i took the shot and now i've been blood trailing for two hours Mm -hmm. It, it is your responsibility and and we have you know sometimes it gets too dark. You're unable to find it that night. You go back out the next morning and the coyotes have eaten it. 
it is still your shot. It is still your deer. You still ethically need to tag that deer. I've eaten tag soup more than I want to admit. It's delicious. There's nothing <laughs> to be ashamed of. You tried, but you were unsuccessful. Um, they call it hunting, not getting. Yes. So I just really want to remind folks that while we talk about the enjoyment of being out in nature, the, the tranquility, the peace, the at the end of the day, we are ethically responsible for every choice we make out there. We try our hardest to recover and, and to find an animal that we have taken a shot at. And sometimes we get to reap the bounty and enjoy the food. And other times we have to accept fate wasn't with us and we have to tag it. So I just, I just want to remind folks that as much as we sit here and, and talk about the wonderful joys of it there's also the um the responsibility along with with uh with hunting so um on that happy note i uh <laughs> i'm really glad you brought that up i'm really glad you brought that up because that is something that folks do need to consider because unfortunately i've seen other people not do that and that's very sad and it is the moment that you pull that trigger or release that arrow yeah, it's all you. That's what makes us and conservationists. You know, that's that's yeah. the component. Where, and the flip side of that too is, you know, the longer you're in the field, the more likely you are to eventually make a mistake, um, just because of exposure, just because of all the endless possibilities and factors that are out there. Your responsibility as an ethical hunter is to do everything in your power to make sure that you are not making those mistakes. However, accidents do happen. Unfortunately, bad shots happen, weird ricochets happen, equipment failures, et cetera. If you are in a situation, and my partner and I found ourselves in this situation last year where something has gone wrong, do everything you can within your power to recover that animal, to fix it in the best way you know how. Forgive yourself if you are unsuccessful. And I, I really like Rachel's point, you know, ethically, that was your your critter that was your tag right there um but but forgive yourself don't let that unfortunate accident go and prevent you from hunting again next year or hunting again on an additional tag learn from it improve get back out there really important absolutely and and i mean we've said it multiple times we're all learning here too we're there we are not perfect we take every opportunity kind of like what chelsea said when we're mushroom hunting you know you take a little bit to identify and to learn from it you don't take the whole thing so in this in these situations you you take the best shot that you 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 had or you take advantage of whatever opportunity you have. And then if it does go wrong, you learn from it, right? Own up to it. You reach out to a conservation officer if that's the route that's needed. What, maybe it's the landowner, whatever, you know, that next step is, learn from it. And then you get back out there, you keep practicing and you don't make that mistake again. There's always tomorrow. There is, there is, absolutely. Ladies, this has been an amazing conversation. You know, even even though we were kind of a bit of a downy, downy, I don't even know if that's what I wanted to use. Even though we were kind of Debbie Downers on the end there, uh, it's on the positive note. Uh, and those of you that are wanting to learn how to hunt, you can you can read it in our enthusiasm. You can read it in our ethics. You can read it here in our positive attitudes that 
Uh, we're in it to be conservationists. We're in it for so much more than, you know, just the harvest alone. And, and we appreciate Christy for joining us on this conversation, uh, her enthusiasm, her expertise, um, her experience in, in so many ways. And so Christy, as we wrap up, have any other further words to share with, uh, both either experienced or the archers that are wanting to get out into the field? Don't be afraid to take that first step and just get out there and do it. Uh, And, and, you know, obviously we're not going to see a deer every time. We're not going to have an opportunity for a shot. I have gone several years of not even taking a deer, and you're thinking, oh, I should do this every single year. It doesn't always happen. And uh, I've had several years that it's like i seen deer, but I didn't see one walk in front of me. <laughs> I might have seen him from way in a distance, but it just didn't happen. I couldn't get them to come in. And then there's those days that they just appear out of nowhere, and I've got this great opportunity. And, you know, but uh, I think the biggest thing is is don't hesitate you know, get out there and, and experience it and, um, find others that, that share your passion and, uh, uh, or, or share your passion with others. There's a reason they call it the hunt. It's not a video game. No, they're not coming across every two seconds. It's, it's definitely a hunt for a reason. Well, guys, we've talked about a lot of big topics in archery hunting today. And I think we've discovered some smaller topics too, that we could spend additional episodes on, like, scouting for deer and the differences in scouting between uh, archery and rifle hunting uh, types of tree stands. We could talk about a lot. So um, Christy, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think definitely there, uh, we owe a little more to this conversation. So you'll likely hear more from us um, and maybe we can have you back sometime. She goes outdoors fam. Um, we love it that you've tuned in today. We really appreciate it. Something that helps us a ton is if you will subscribe to this podcast. Um, By subscribing to the She Goes Outdoors podcast, you'll get notifications and updates every time we release a new episode. This is important because we all have crazy schedules and things that happen, and we can't always release new episodes um, on a super regular basis. We try to, that's for you guys, but um, in the instance that we are running a little bit late, having that subscription button smashed will make sure that you get notifications when we do upload our new episodes. Plus, occasionally we'll throw in a bonus episode here or there, so you don't want to miss those if you're uh, counting on a regular schedule. So be sure to subscribe to that. Uh, Like our podcast, rate it, and let us know how we're doing, and then also what topics you'd like to learn a little bit more about. As always, you can learn more at the She Goes Outdoors website, sgooutdoors.com, and be sure to follow us on Facebook at She Goes Outdoors. Um, We love to see your photos, like was mentioned earlier. We love to hear your stories, so jump on there, engage with us, ask us questions. We absolutely love it. So with that, I wish everybody luck this deer season. If you're getting out for the first time, good luck out there. Be sure to get your practice in. Reach out to us with any questions or concerns, and of course, share your story. We look forward to seeing you outdoors. 